everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. We're in the episode of 1990, the final one. We're discussing the movies of 1990. We have four films left to discuss. Yes, we didn't discuss every single movie. It's impossible. We don't have that kind of time in our lives. So we usually just select like a dozen or more and kind of, you know, dice it up from there. And then I have friends come in to help us with some movies. Uh, this episode we're discussing Home Alone. Yes, I know it's right after Christmas. We're like, shut up. <laughs> we're both we're both uh, in well you're more in the warehouse world I'm in the retail slash warehouse world and it's a really rough time for us um, so uh, sorry we have uh, Home Alone Freshman Ghost and Downtown I wanted to add crazy people but I watched it and I thought mm, nah this doesn't hold up it's not very funny uh, it's one of Dudley Moore's last starring roles but uh, so what do you want to start with uh, well just to get it out of the way because we just got through the holidays let's go with Home Alone uh Again, an absolute classic, and it's a must-watch for Christmas every year. Yeah. Uh, saw it in the theaters. Mind-blowing. Uh, I think we saw it about three weeks into it. Absolutely packed theater, and everybody lost their minds. It was so amazing. And just, I think it introduced a whole new world to pratfall comedy. Like, the Three Stooges, you know, the, the our generation's version of the Three Stooges with all the wacky stunts and beaming each other up and, I mean, the gangbusters, like, what, 260 million or something like that? Oh, wow. I might be wrong. I'm not sure. But, you know, this set a trend for John Hughes, good and bad, because he kind of gave up on the adult stories and the teenage stories and just almost exclusively from here on out did kid stories. And a lot of them had the Home Alone formula somewhere or another. Baby's Day Out, Dennis the Menace, of course, Home Alone 2 and 3. Um, but I still think the first one works so well. I haven't seen the second or third one in a long time. But the first one, a very solid story, would not happen now with cell phones. Apparently, there's a new Home Alone. Did you watch it on Disney Plus? Oh, Home Sweet Home Alone. No, I have not watched it yet. But I have seen I, I'm trying to. I was trying to remember where that kid was from, and I saw him from Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I am interested for sure to see it. Yeah, it has Ellie Kemper in it, but how, but how in this world, with all the technology that we have, how is it possible that can happen with a child? I don't know, but I'm curious what they're going to attempt. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll have to give it a chance. But again, just the, I just like how Kevin, uh, throughout this entire family, he's definitely like the black sheep of the family. Everybody gets along fine, it seems, even though Buzz is a dick his oldest brother and <laughs> he's just like a bit of a smart ass to everybody and it just works out so well and it's a lot about time Macaulay Culkin yeah Macaulay Culkin's character the only way he's left behind is I think genius in how they hit these certain beats this person has to be here this person has to be there the thing has to happen to this you know the power has to go out they all have to be waking up late and be in a panicked rush. They don't take their time. That kid has to be in the van that looks like Kevin. You know, that kind of stuff that happens, and it's really brilliant. And I don't think enough credit is given to Christopher Columbus. A lot of people shit on Chris Columbus now uh, because, you know, like his yeah. Little Week is Harry Potter's and Bicentennial Man, stuff like that. Um, but I think what he did in the first part of his career was really just gold. He really worked his ass off getting these movies to work. Oh, absolutely, I know. You can't, like, turn down his writing credits either. He has hand in... Well, and he was also, like, one of the writers for Goonies, so... Right, Goonies, like, Gremlins, know. and Adventures of Babysitting, which is weird, because he didn't write it, but he did clean up the script, but he didn't get enough to, you know, get credit on it, but he did debut with that directorial effort. Yeah, and uh, quite frankly, I think he did a great job. Yeah. And uh, seriously, like, honestly, the first two Harry Potter films he directed, I'd say, were some of my favorite ones. 
Really, this is the weakest for me. But also, I saw them much later than you. Well, not later. I saw them the same time as you, but I was much older than you is what I should say. Uh, so it, I, I appreciate the ones later. I can't wait to get to those, but that's going to be a long ways off because we're heading into 1991, not 2001. Um, <laughs> right. So, uh, and of course, this is the thing that makes everybody a star. Uh, I mean, and I mean everybody. John Hughes is all of a sudden bigger than he's ever been. Chris Columbus is finally breaking out as an A-lister. Uh, we're writing now $8 million paychecks to Macaulay Culkin. Uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are the leads in their own movies. Just Daniel Stern even swings the power to start directing his movies. Um, John Hurd has a career revival. So does Catherine O'Hara. And it's just, and then, oh yeah, and then uh, John Candy realizes that he can make a lot of money and get good work by being a strong support. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that little, uh, of course, helping out Catherine O'Hara's character to get back home was definitely something big. And he was telling everybody, it's like, hey, you know, you think you've got it bad. I mean, us, like some people I haven't even seen those kids in years and this and that. And then he brings up that one morbid joke and that's what just gets that's when it just has to get quiet you know it's like yeah just don't say anything else for the rest of the night yeah what what i think uh, they tap in the best is fear yes it's a comedy but there's a fear element for everybody the the, the missing son for the parents and having to rush back and everything is just so complicated in order to get back there um the fear that the wet bandits have of being caught eventually you know they're like you know throwing them off with the video and stuff like that and, and the fake people in the apartment or the house um but the biggest part is kevin McAllister, and you know his fear of being alone and then uh, out of his element especially when he's out of his house he's scared of his neighbor uh you know and i think they really tap into if you just shifted this a little bit this is a survivalist horror film Oh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine, like, someone, like, uh, writing or, or just, like, you know, edit, editing that particular trailer for the first movie into, like, some kind of horror? I mean, that would work. I, I mean, it, honestly, Grown Up Kevin, I, I think if you were to uh, have a follow-up, it would probably be, like, a thriller suspense movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Wet Bandits are back from the dead. <laughs> They're going to eat Kevin's brains. Um, oh my god, Daniel Stern though, uh, that when that tarantula gets on his face, that scream! Oh my god, How, I want to give an award to Joe Pesci for not calling that little kid motherfucker over and over and over. You know that's part of his normal repertoire in movies, is to call people that, and somehow he held back. And he did this right after Goodfellas. <laughs> yes, I know, like holy crap, right? Like, you know, Joe Pesci, big gangster, you know, tough guy, murderer, to, you know, just a kid to a kid's movie. Instead of cussing, but he was just is, like, Roger, 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 Roger. But uh, what I did hear, like behind the scenes, there was a swear jar um, to anybody who, like, anybody who would wear, a, who would say a swear, uh, would have to put money in a jar. Joe, Joe Pesci filled it up quickly. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember being home by yourself, like early on, being scared? Uh. Yeah, and it was not as fun. I had, plus, there was no ice cream to console. No, I. the one thing I definitely remember is not in the first house that I was left alone. Uh, it was the second one. We had just moved into a Victorian home, and I didn't know it that well. And the toilet, look, I was young. I didn't know. The toilet flushed by itself, and I thought someone was in the house, so I just ran outside and sat, out, <laughs> sat outside until my parents came home. <laughs> right. 
I was like, I'm staying in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like, just being in the downstairs, like, the heater. Like, he ended up getting... Oh, I mean, yeah. Of course, this is... He over, He eventually overcame it. He, like, he just said, shut up. Oh, yeah, we were terrified of our basements. <laughs> there was a weird... I, in our heads, as children, me and my sister thought there was, like, a murder down there. It was just red paint and just, like, leftover stuff when the guy left. But there was, like, an extra crawl space room. We're like, oh, God, they store dead bodies in there. Run! <laughs> <laughs> oh god Kids. that is pretty funny i mean from an outside point of view not yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, i liked that one scene where uh where he's at the church and he's just listening to the choir and his neighbor comes up to him and he again he eventually over uh, overcomes all of his fears fear of being alone fear of the basement and fear of his neighbor all because of some ignorant bs from his brother buzz yeah the one thing that uh, really ruined this movie, I think, for a long time is the simple fact that he has that scene where he puts the, the aftershave on and he screams. And it's not so much... Th it's what came after that. There's so many parodies of that and it's annoying. I mean, I feel like they're still doing jokes on that and it's just, stop it. Please stop. Right, I know. I mean, it was just that iconic, like a kid putting on aftershave and screaming his head off. Yeah, it's it's the equivalent for our generation of the, you talking to me? You talking to me? There's no one else here. You talking to me? You know, that kind of overused right. bullshit. Yeah. It was um, overly repetitive. But there was a nod to that in the movie the night before. Of course, there was a nod to like every Christmas movie in that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. But like when Seth Rogen realizes his wife like goes in labor, he just like goes, ah! Of course, that's, that's reasonable. That works. The uh, the one thing in our next film, The Freshman, uh, is playing on is the fact that the whole Don Corleone thing was so tired and so over spoofed, and yet for another decade it would keep going. But in this one, the smart thing is they recognize that they literally go he. I mean, they get Marlon Brando to play basically a Don Corleone, and they make a joke about the fact that they stole Don Corleone from. Uh, him as uh, Sabatini is his name and whatever but I think this is a really great film that didn't do very well Andrew Bergman's a great writer director and Matthew Broderick in his last like young role before he would kind of evolve into his later era you know like from Cable Guy and Godzilla and stuff like that um, this naive college kid who's coming to New York for the first time I think he's enrolled in a new school and uh, uh, yes a film school a film school uh is he supposed to be 18 i feel like he was already in college and he just goes on to something else but if he's playing 18 he was clearly like 28 by this point oh uh, yeah he was definitely uh playing a freshman in college okay uh, he was definitely younger for sure he must have and just they played it because... off so well him and frankie wiley yeah frank uh, wiley yeah before he broke out in the next year with uh, career opportunities and the doors um, but I think in this really Bruno Kirby carries a lot of this movie. Marlon Brando isn't in much of it. It looks like he did about two days of shooting because he, even then he was impossible to work with. Um, but Bruno Kirby is his side man who works all these hustles and he's the one who basically fucks over Matthew Broderick. I mean, he just steals everything from him, <laughs> which is probably just clothes. Come on. And you right. Know, exactly. And, Grab some of his money and other belongings as well. Yeah, and he just works this angle, works this angle. Instead of admitting to his guilt and giving it back, he somehow manipulates this kid into a crime of stealing, um, what do you call it, a Komodo dragon? Uh, yeah, no, smuggling, smuggling endangered species. To eat just them! <laughs> yeah, I know, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it all... 
way it unfolds as well. Oh, and he has to get married to uh, Penelope Ann Miller, who right. uh, T- who plays Tina, uh, Marlon Brando's daughter. And it's like, what the hell? He's like, I want to actually like the person first. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the opposite of Ferris Bueller, I think, is another reason why it's probably appealing to him, is because everything you think about Ferris Bueller, he's the exact opposite. He's constantly like oh, out God, of yes. his element and, and insecure and confused, and I just love watching him work. Especially when they just try to transport the Komodo dragon, uh, <laughs> and then they stop at the gas station to get rid of the smell, and straight up, it goes out, lost into the mall, everywhere else, and then they finally drop it off to uh, B.D. Wong and the hand, the uh, German handler uh, of the animals, and... Thankfully, they didn't get chlorine in its eyes because that definitely would have damaged it. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> uh, spoilers: they don't eat the Komodo dragon. It's all a big con. It, this is it, a con upon a con upon a con. Work. You know, it's like is it, I mean, if you love those kind of movies, this is gonna work for you. Oh, absolutely! Absolutely, of course. And yeah, because at the end, Marlon Brando's like he, his character is actually sweet. Yeah. At the end of the day, he doesn't want to kill any of these animals. He takes care of them, and then he suckers all these. <laughs> he suckers all these rich people who want to eat these exotic animals, but they're just getting like you know what puffer fish mixed with turkey meat. Like yeah, they're, yeah, they're not getting it at all. It's funny is Penelope uh, and Miller is connected to three of these movies in one way because we were talking about Adventures of Babysitting with the first movie. She's in this one, and she's also in our next film, Downtown, with Anthony Edwards and Forrest Whitaker. And now this is the most obscure one. I'm, I'm assuming you have not seen this one before. Before this, no. But oh my god, it. I was like, okay, I was thrown for a loop. I'm like, okay, is this this actual comedy? And then it comes, some, it gets somewhat serious. Yeah, at it's, times, it's one of my favorite buddy comedies. It got dumped by Fox. It only made two million dollars. Uh, Gail Ann Hurd produced this. This is immediately after her divorce from uh, James Cameron. She's she's on her own, uh-huh. and I think it's a really nifty, low stakes buddy comedy, and. Uh, a lot of it is just, you know, the, the juxtaposition. It's a little bit like a reverse Beverly Hills Cop, I guess, if you want to say it. Pretty much, yeah. So I mean, Anthony Edwards is, like, you know, naive and he's a rookie. But the reason why he gets transferred downtown is because he caught a rich guy speeding up in his car, passing stop signs, and he just wanted to write him a ticket. Yeah, that was it. And then, of course, that's all. But no, yeah, rich man had to go freaking get over dramatic, file all this BS claims against him, and because he didn't have his partner, they couldn't take his word for it exactly. Plus, spoiler alert, as we get to the end, the chief was his best friend. Yeah, and they're tied to some major crimes, and that's a big thing in this movie is, I like the fact that they put the two worlds together. Um, like in Beverly Hills Cop, they kind of like launch it there, but then they separate it and make it all Beverly Hills, whereas this, is yes, he's now working downtown, and Forrest Whitaker's his new partner who doesn't want him. Obviously, that's a little bit of cliche, of course. But you know, them working together, but also realizing there's stuff going on where he used to be up in what basically Beverly Hills, like some rich neighborhood, and he loses his partner, and these drug dealers and the guy who got him booted down are all connected to Joe Pantiolano, who and, you know they're in, involved in all this uh, legal uh, activities. And I think I thought it was a really good balance of comedy. Uh, and yes. action. Um, the comedy is more grounded. It, like I said, it's fish out of water kind of comedy. And neither one of them are com- uh, really comedians. You know, Forrest Whitaker and Anthony Edwards. It's the situations that are funny and their reactions to it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you could see that with Anthony Edwards in Revenge of the Nerds. 
he's definitely again more situational comedy yeah as far as like actually trying to be funny and i joy pants uh it does not look like a villain at all in this and that's one of the great twists is that he looks like this you know bumbling like if you saw him in a clock shop you know (laughs) repairing old watches that you would expect that you wouldn't expect to be a cold-blooded killer and i think that really works for this movie I, forget, I keep forgetting that's his nickname, Joe Pants. Yeah, Joey Pants. Uh, directed by comedian, uh, actor Richard Benjamin, who had just come off of doing My Stepmother's an Alien, and City Heat, and Money Pit. Uh, I, I think he does a really good job in this. I think some of the stunt work is amazing, and all I'm going to say is wood chipper. Wood chipper, people. It's going to have a yeah. very important part of this movie. Absolutely. Also, uh, you know, um, Forrest Whitaker's introduction, though, that was badass. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I love how it was like somewhat Blazing Saddles inspired, where it's like you know, let's hold this guy hostage. He's pretending to be the bad guy, and then what's his name? Sergeant Reed. Pow! <laughs> that was cool. I love the part where he's he's talking to him over the speaker as if he was God, and he throws up. <laughs> oh, that's right, because he was trying to uh, he was about to puke from eating the pig gut. Yeah, I'm like, well, like, dude, if it's delicious, it's like it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> this is <True>. God talking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, he is God just because he's spoken tongues. He automatically is God. But man, oh. Uh, yeah. Overall, definitely had it. Oh, I love it. I love the ending, though. I love how it ended. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the fourth and final film of this discussion. Well, our episodes are shorter now. Wow, I didn't realize. But, um,. So there's two major phenomenons in 1990. Yes, there's a lot of hits and a lot of love stuff like Total Recall, but really not that profitable. The two biggest things of 1990 were Home Alone and Ghost because each lasted for, they started small, you know, nothing really big, low budget movies, low expectations. The trailer sold it, word of mouth sold it, and they went for months. Both went over $200 million. Ghost. Oh at the time was not appealing to me in any way whatsoever even though everybody i knew saw it it played at our little one screen theater in my small town forever because it was sold as a romantic drama and i didn't have any interest as a 13 year old boy and i i I watched the movie on video after it came out because we rented it as a family and i remember liking it but i never went back to it because in my head i just kept remembering the romantic drama because every time you think of a spoof of this it's always the clay may you know the making the clay pots or whatever and the oh my love my dog yes that that was like one of the most um iconic moments from that movie that yeah. and what this got Whoopi goldberg her oscar if it wasn't for patrick swayze she would not have been in that movie and he pushed for her yeah it's relentlessly um it's 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 with this, I, I would say this is more of a, a supernatural murder mystery mixed with buddy comedy elements. Uh, the whole thing with uh, Demi Moore really doesn't seem that critical to... I mean, yes, it's, it's needed for the plot, but I mean, if you look at back at the movie, Demi Moore only seems to be in about 15 minutes at most. Yeah, no, I don't feel like she was in it as much as everybody else, no. Yeah, and I will say that. Yeah, a lot of it, I love the world building it has. You know, he gets killed, but he has to figure out why he's there, for one. There's other ghosts that he has to communicate with and cooperate with and eventually learn powers from, which I thought was good, cool for, like, its world building, giving him uh, fighting elements, even though he can't really touch people. He can, but only, like, for a split second. Um, and then introducing... Yeah, like, Whoop- yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is a con artist. She's not a believer, and then somehow taps in 
with the help of Sam into a whole new world where she can finally see into another, what do you call it, dimension or a different plane of existence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just the way that uh, delivered, like how she found out she could actually speak to dead people. Oh my God, that scene was just gold. <laughs> how she like, like straight up runs in her closet. She feels like she's talking to Sam Wheat. She's like, Sam Wheat. He's like, I'm right here. And then she just freaks out and falls right there. My favorite part, and this stuck in my head forever, is I'm Henry the Eighth. I am Henry the Eighth. I am. I am. I married the widow next door. I'm whatever. And she's mm. driving her crazy. And um, I actually think the movie's legitimately scary. It's really intense because there's a killer after. I mean, he 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 killed Sam, and then he's after Demi Moore, and he's after now uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I can't remember her character. Uh, Odame, right? Odame. Yes. Um, he's after her. I mean, he's opening fire. And then there's the Wraths, the, the, the guys from hell that take you down with them. Yes, that was freaky as a kid. I'm yeah. like, what the and hell? Just that growl. Like, yeah. Uh, um, and spoilers, Tony, when Tony Goldwyn eats it, that's horror movie stuff right there. I mean, a plating of glass goes right through his chest. That's wild. Stomach, yeah. What's crazier is this is from Jerry Zucker. He had come off of doing a Ruthless People and Naked Gun to do this, and it's hilarious that he spoofs his own movie the next year in Naked Gun Two and a Half. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and they also spoofed that from um, Loaded Gun. Did they? The one with uh, yeah, the one with uh, Emilio Estevez. And oh yeah, the dog's hands I think come in or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he think, he's like he gets shot and he's like thinking he's dying, and then he comes back up and he's like, uh oh, never mind, I'm not dying, because <laughs> those rays are starting to come in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Now I get that joke a lot more. Now I gotta watch that. I was wondering what the hell that was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't blame. It's like as soon as you hear that moan. But then, like, it was just a sweet moment when he finally passed over because his unfinished business was looking out for uh, Demi Moore. Yeah, you know, they loved each other and. She had a lot of secrets, and he had to protect her. And Tony Goldwyn, who was supposed to be Sam's friend and confidant, was trying to make the moves on Demi just to get to that money from that particular account. Yeah, I think it's such a good movie, and it's a shame that he... Ne so Jerry Zucker did this and then waited five years to go do First Night. That didn't do very well. It wasn't a flat-out bomb, but it didn't do very well. And then that was basically it for that genre. He went back to doing comedies with his brother, and it's kind of a shame. He produced some dramas after that but that was kind of it and you make a 200 million dollar movie you think you take more chances in that genre oh absolutely i know it is definitely a surprise for like knowing that it was jerry zucker who did that you know again coming from comedies and spoofs it's i know it just goes to show like what he can actually do yeah i think if I remember correctly, Bruce Joel Rubin wrote this, and then he wrote and directed My Life with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman a few years later, and Jerry Zucker was going to direct it, but he backed out and uh, just produced it. Oh, okay. I mean, sometimes, yeah, like, if they feel like they're not right for the movie, like, they won't do it. So, I don't know, I mean, as far as it goes for My Life, from what I can remember, I actually ended up enjoying it, but then again, I was a big Michael Keaton fan. Yeah, I've never seen that one, no. Oh, sorry. Yawn. My fault. <laughs> and don't worry, I'm not catching it. Because <laughs> I can't catch it through the phone. Ha ha! Magical powers, you freak. No, um, okay, so that's the end of this 1990 episode. 1991 is fully loaded with great movies. It's one of the best years, I think, ever. I cannot wait to discuss it. We got Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Hudson Hawk, 
uh, Hot Shots, Naked Gun Two and a Half. Um, let me think what else is ninety one. Hook. Oh my God, Hook. I gotta reevaluate. Terminator that. Two. Terminator Two. Thank you. Point Break. Uh, it's just so loaded to the gills of great movies and some obscure ones that I, I would love for Jacob to see and for you guys to discover. So like, yeah, you probably know most of these movies, but I'm sure most of you did not know Downtown, and I'm hoping to uh, reveal some more gems for Jacob. Like, Pure Luck. Have you ever seen this one with Danny Glover and Martin Short? Is that where they're on a fishing boat? No, that's Gone Fishing. You're thinking of Joe Pesci and Danny Glover. This one is uh, Martin Short is an accident-prone person. He has the worst luck you've ever seen in your life. Well, coincidence has it is that this man... Uh, lost his daughter who also happens to be extremely clumsy and he hires detective Danny Glover to go find her and he uses Martin Short as a kind of hey what kind of trail would a very clumsy person you know have and then hopefully he can follow his path to his the lost daughter it sounds more complicated than it should be I know but it's very funny it's very wild and it's from the director of Three Fugitives and uh, well that's a lot of three he also did Three Men and a Baby and uh uh, so many of his movies got adapted into American productions, but um, Francis Weber is his name, and that'll be on our next episode, 1991. Here we come. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, real quick, yes. wasn't Predator 2... Wait, did Predator 2 come out in 1990 or 92? It did. There's some movies that we skipped because we already did them on video night, so that's why we didn't discuss Tremors uh. or Predator. We did an all-Tremors episode. We did an all-Predator episode, so there's some stuff that we've skipped. There's some action movies mm. that I gave to my friend uh, Rob to do, so it took the pressure. I know the pressure for during Christmas season's a lot for you, so I just tried to take some of that off by handing a few of the movies off to other people. Uh, oh, okay. I could have yeah, asked you, I, I suppose. <laughs> I, I mean, I had just got the uh, Predator collection on Blu-ray, and again, rewatching that movie, I'm like, holy shit! I gotta discuss this. No, I'm like, sorry. I mean, I... <laughs> no worries. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll be Man. stuck. Well, the problem is, with so many good movies, we would be stuck. We probably still be off in 1987 if we hadn't done so many movies already on the show. Um, but that's why I kind of stopped doing Video Night for other reasons, too. Um, but I, I was like, let's line this up and get all the movies we've missed over the years. And there's so many gems. Yes, we do a lot of comedies, Jacob and I, but I, I promise that we'll start expanding upon that later. Yes, exactly. Expanding. Open up the bubble a little bit more. Just make sure it don't break. <laughs> All right, so that's it. Hit, check us out on Facebook and Twitter under Hit Rewind Podcast. And Jacob, send us out. All right. Yeah. All right. Namaste and good luck, my guys. Hopefully, hopefully, y'all stay safe. Enjoy your New Year. Get your vax. Get your mask on. Uh, we'll get through this eventually. I hope. Or we'll all be facing a uh, Planet of the Apes universe where <laughs> we're all gone and <laughs> the animals have taken over. We can't speak anymore. No. Uh, speaking of, I gotta go eat. Bye. Yeah.